0: Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. So I invite you to learn more about us at unwsp.edu. a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a great show for you, just so you know. Rebecca's at the board, and we are excited about what's happening today. Rob is going to be joining me in just about 60 seconds. Uh, He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal, and I hope you are going often to The Daily Signal. It's a conservative American political media news website that was founded in 2014, and it focuses really on politics and uh, policy and culture And it's uh, from a conservative perspective. I have a feeling most of my listeners wouldn't appreciate that, but not everybody. But you can always head over there and find out what's uh, going on in the news from that perspective. And Rob is the executive editor. And then Sheila Heen is going to be joining me uh, after Rob. And then a full hour with Dr. Marcus Bachman. So get your questions ready, get everything ready, because we're going to have a great show. We're going to
1: take 60 seconds and then bring on Rob Louie. There's a 35-year-old man who is very religious. In fact, he's probably more devoted to his walk than you are. Prayer is important to him, and he meets with his maker faithfully every single day. He gathers with religious friends several times a week without neglecting an opportunity, studies, and memorizes. For this man, his whole life revolves around obedience to his God. But one thing is missing. Ahmed has never heard about Jesus. His God is not the God of the Bible. Ahmed doesn't pray to a personal Savior. His book is the Quran. He lives in a country where there are less than 100 Christians. On the International Day for the Unreached, Sunday, May 31st, believers will be praying for the Ahmeds of this world. Begin by downloading the Great Commission Action Guide at dayfortheunreached.org. May our hearts be broken for those who have no access to the gospel. Let's pray. Let's advocate. Let's share. And let's go. Dayfortheunreached.org
0: Happiest of Tuesdays. I always love talking to Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor of the Daily Signal. DailySignal.com is the place to go. Check that out. Rob, welcome.
2: It's great to be back, Bill.
0: Oh, yeah, and you sound fantastic. So I'm so curious. I think you had a very uh, recent committee meeting for the Coronavirus
2: That's right, Bill. You know, we always time these interviews perfect because the Commission has its meetings at uh, (laughs) 2 o'clock Eastern on Tuesdays, and then I get to come and speak to you right afterward and let you know first, uh, you're getting the first dibs on this, uh, what we discussed and and the latest recommendations we put out. And so today, uh, just first of all, a reminder for your your listeners that the Commission is made up of 17 experts and leaders throughout our country. These include former lawmakers who have experience in government. from the state level to so the federal level, uh, local leaders. We have business owners, people who uh, who's, have served in the medical profession, including a couple of doctors. And what they've done is they've come together, all of these diverse perspectives, and, and focused on five different aspects of COVID-19 and how we can successfully recover as a country. Uh, today's recommendations focused on how do we reduce the risks of future pandemics. And Bill, I, I'm i really disappointed to say that, you know, in the medical experts that we've had talk to us, this is probably not the last time in our lifetime we will have a situation like this. It might not be as severe, but as we know from past experiences, uh, you know, there are threats that are going to be facing the United States in the future, and what can we do to better prepare for them? So we now have 264 total recommendations, Recommendations uh, for for mm-hmm. local leaders, state governors, uh, federal officials, and the private sector and civil society uh, to help them prepare for this.
0: Well, I'm not doubting at all that there will be other episodes of of uh, contagions that get loose and new viruses that show up and pandemics that will happen because they've been happening from the beginning of time.
2: That's right. So, that's right. An important reminder, right?
0: Yes. Now, Rob, do you feel that the media has done a fairly good job of creating fear in people regarding this one?
2: There's definitely that aspect, and I think that uh, I've I've not been shy about my my criticism of the media. In fact, one of the reasons we started the Daily Signal, and thank you for for your uh, your support of the Daily Signal and encouraging your listeners to to view uh, the content that we create, is because we were we were not satisfied with uh, with the media's coverage of issues more broadly. But I think this issue stands out as one where there has been a certain level of uh, fear mongering, and uh, and as a result, uh, you've had elected leaders take actions that. Uh, You know, perhaps we're a little bit draconian, uh, overreaching. And in fact, that's one of the areas that we address in the latest set of recommendations from the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, specifically that we need to take a better and closer look at uh, where big government policies have failed and where uh, solutions can be, you know, better met, uh, better meet the people. Um, And also, Bill, I think that there's, an aspect of this where we need to focus on civics education, because too often, I think even in the media, you lose sight of where the proper responsibility lies for some of these decisions. And ultimately, it comes down to where, you know, government uh, governs best when it's closest to you. And that's sometimes at the local level, which is why we've recommended from the very start that decisions to reopen our country be made at a county by county level. And, uh, and let's face it, we're seeing this in Michigan right now, uh, opening the northern part of the state, which is not impacted nearly as much as a city like Detroit.
0: Mm-hmm. And didn't uh, some of Georgia's reopening uh, prove to be pretty good? There wasn't any kind of um, backlash of any kind?
2: That's right. Uh, Georgia is one example. Florida is another one. And boy, what a difference you see uh, between those two states and the coverage they get compared to some uh, state like New York or California. Uh, I, I'd like to say that uh, it, it didn't have to do with the fact that those uh, those two states, Florida and Georgia, are led by Republican governors. But I think that that is certainly part of the bias that you're seeing. Uh, the fact that uh, Governor Cuomo in New York can go on his brother's show on CNN and, and have a fairly friendly interview, as mm-hmm. you would expect, two brothers to have, uh, you know, that is uh, certainly a factor in all of this. And I think that that perception certainly has an impact.
0: Have you seen humility at all in the press? Have you seen someone say, well, my original understanding was this, but now it's changed to that?
2: I, I think that among a select few, that probably is the case. Uh, but I mean, even look just yesterday, the press's reaction to, to President Trump's announcement that he uh, was, was, was taking this anti-malaria drug. And of course, you know, uh, a lot of um, heightened rhetoric about the president being irresponsible. And of course, the president has his own physician, right? Uh, we actually have a former White House physician serving on our commission. And so I've gotten to know uh, Dr. Tubb uh, fairly well as a result of um, working with him. On, on this commission. And uh, those White House physicians take their jobs incredibly seriously. And, uh, and yes, so, I mean, you'll see it every day, Bill, and uh, this is just the latest example.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, what were some of the more enc- encouraging things that came out of the meeting today for the Coronavirus Commission?
2: You know, uh, one of the one of the big things that uh, that we're focused on today is, is better preparing uh, K-12 classrooms oh, um, for how uh, they can handle uh, future pandemics. So I think one of the things that was quite obvious all around this country was how many of these educational institutions were unprepared uh, to move to virtual learning. And so and I think they're still trying to figure it out, both at the K-12 level and higher ed, for how they reopen. Uh, many states have already decided that they're not going back for this academic year and uh, and those that are looking already to the fall are, I think are struggling with plans to do that. so that's one aspect that we address. Um, we're also looking at other things that uh, that perhaps uh, states can do to better prepare a lot of talk right now, Bill, about uh, bailing out states. Well, I think that this is an area where states should be setting aside enough revenue. Uh, we always you know obviously tell people to set aside two months of of your uh, your income in case of an emergency well, why shouldn't we expect the same of our state governments? And so it's taking some of these common sense measures and applying them that I think that they'll be in a much better position in the future should we find ourselves in a situation like this.
0: Mm -hmm. Has the first stimulus package been effective?
2: Well, it it uh it seems to be helping certain aspects of the the economy. I mean, certainly uh, there is encouragement in, in in some sectors, and not so much in others. Uh, retail has been hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. If you saw this with uh, J.C. Penney declaring bankruptcy, and I think you'll continue to see uh, see the retail chains. Uh, go through some some big changes now some of these probably were inevitable as as americans were increasingly consuming goods uh purchasing them through amazon and other online retailers uh, you know, they weren't going to shopping malls or retail stores. So I think that that's an aspect that the uh, the stimulus probably can't help because it's uh, it's a change that was going to happen in, in the time anyways. I think in other, other aspects, yes, it has. Uh, the Paycheck Protection Program that was launched has been very successful in delivering uh, money to small businesses. I know that there are many businesses that still would like to receive aid and, and support and haven't been able to do so. Uh, that's something that probably needs to be addressed because that's targeted temporary relief. And for Americans uh, getting those direct payments because they haven't been able to work, uh, yeah, I think that probably being able to pay rent or put food on the table, those are certainly things that are going to help. Uh, but you, what you see now is a move by uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill to really try to take advantage of the crisis and pack as many of their liberal priorities as possible into this $3 trillion piece of legislation, which isn't going anywhere, but uh, but was passed by the House last week.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you hear about some of these draconian uh, measures that have taken place across the country. How does that uh, work for the, your common sense side of your brain? <laughs>
2: well, I, I think that, uh, you know, some of those measures certainly uh, go beyond uh, perhaps the reach of, of those elected leaders. And and that's why I think you're starting to see uh, some Americans um, speak out and protest and, and call for uh, a, a return uh, to, you know, if not exactly what we were dealing with in early in early March and February, a situation where at least we put things in their their control, and so i I'm encouraged by the fact that sports leagues and some states uh, appear to be moving in that direction, even if it means doing so without fans in the in the seats um, but in some other cases, yeah, I think it's really concerning, particularly when you have Uh, Governors or or local leaders uh, singling out and targeting uh, certain individuals because of of their um, you know lack of compliance. Now, in many cases, we have a small business owner on our own commission who has spoken about the steps that he would like to take as a restaurant owner to make sure that his establishments are safe and that the uh, the the local parishioners who come uh, can uh, can partake and and not and do so in a way that they can. Uh, be safe. And I think that we need to have a certain level of trust in the private sector and our own society uh, to do that. And we can't just rely entirely on government.
0: Mm -hmm. There was a, a, a posting from a friend who had a picture of his wife and he, and she's a nurse. And, you know, he said as a thank you for all of her hard work, you know, she is putting her health at risk she spends about an extra hour each day gearing up to 10 for the, the patients so how do they thank her well they've cut her salary by 10 percent at this hospital that she works at and the reasoning is that there's just not enough patients in the hospital they're at 50 percent capacity so there's a reduction of doctors and nurses so everyone's afraid they're going to get corona if they go to the, the ER for chest pains or infections or injuries and he said right now there's only like three or four corona patients in the hospital So there is a need for an adjustment to common sense.
2: Exactly, I mean, one of the things that the Commission has been focused on is the the negative impact on on our health care system as a result of what you're what you're talking about. Um, you know there are many Americans who aren't able to receive basic health care preventative care, uh certainly getting treatments for cancer and uh, and and just routine dental visits, for instance yeah uh, those are all things that are going to weigh on on the health of the American people. And uh, by by not taking those steps, uh, I think that in some cases we're uh, we're creating other consequences uh, beyond COVID nineteen. Now, when it comes to healthcare workers in particular, we've seen from the unemployment numbers and some of the economic data that that industry has been hit particularly hard. And so, I think it's so important that we move quickly to get them uh, back to work and in a position where they can do their job. In part, because who else uh, is going to be better protected with personal protective equipment and understanding? the steps that you need to take uh, to remain safe than a healthcare worker. I mean, they do this every day.
0: Yeah, Rob Bluey is my guest. We'll take a little break and be back with lots more. Head over to dailysignal.com. <laughs> We are back with Rob Bluey, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Rob, Rob, there's so many so many good stories on the Daily Signal right now. Do you have one you want to pick and run with?
2: Sure. Well, one of the things that uh, we reported yesterday was uh, was something uh, we were kind of just addressing, Bill, and that's the comparison between two states with similar populations that have had incredibly different experiences, and that's uh, Florida and New York. My colleague Fred Lucas, uh, who's our national affairs correspondent, did an excellent piece uh, looking into this, and uh, and what Fred found is that despite the you know fact that they are similar in some respects, um, you've had a- an entirely different uh, situation play out in New York City um, than, you, than you have in Florida. Obviously, both have many urban areas where, uh, where we've seen these COVID-19 cases really explode. Uh, but I think that in some cases, you haven't looked the, – the media, if, if we're to, to pin the blame on them, uh, it hasn't looked as critically as some of the missteps that Governor Cuomo has taken in New York State. And one of the disastrous consequences has been his uh, his initial policy on nursing homes mm-hmm. and, uh, and and not being more restrictive because we know that that's a high risk population among the most vulnerable uh and uh as a result of his policy we've seen the number of uh the the number of nursing home deaths really skyrocketed and increase. unfortunately, in New York State. So it's, uh, it's really uh, tragic and sad. And I think that uh, when all is said and done, uh, we shouldn't just look at who gives the best press conferences, but we actually need to look at the policies that they implemented. And New York was frankly slow uh, to respond to this. Uh, you saw many of the states, Western states, moved a lot faster. And as a result, uh, they found themselves in a better situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's been nothing said by Governor Cuomo about his decision early on. To say to nursing homes you must accept COVID-positive patients back into their That's residences. Right. That's yeah.
2: right. Yeah. So many, so many different decisions. Uh the fact that the uh in, in New York City specifically, that the, the subway, which is uh you know, just breeds germs uh and and is 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 so dirty. Uh, you know, people were continuing to to use it. Um, it by contrast, uh, I should note that the the metro system here in the Washington D.C. area now requires you to have a mask before you even ride. Now, I know that there are some listeners out there who probably question the you know the wisdom of masks, but I think that the masks are, are meant to protect others. Um, you know, if if you sneeze um, or are uh, you cough, I mean, it will be it will not uh, spread those germs to other individuals. So, regardless of uh, your your view on on any of these steps that you personally can take. Bill, I think that, you know, we have to look out for those who are, are vulnerable. There are, we need to recognize that based on the data, there are those who are at a higher risk. We know that minority populations in particular mm-hmm. uh, have, have been disproportionately impacted uh, with the number of deaths as a result of COVID-19. And so if there are steps that we can take to protect others in our society, I think uh, it would be right and wise to do so.
0: Yeah, that's um, so, uh, such a smart uh, remark, Rob. And I, I, I hope that we continue to be wise going forward, um because it seems that the goalposts are always kind of getting moved a little bit. We have to flatten the curve and okay, the curve's been flattened, and now there's states that still want to stay shut down until you know the end of June or even into uh July.
2: That's right. And and, and let's face it, I think that there's going to be um some governors who are are reluctant to move uh quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh and look, this is this is <laughs> The United. We are the United States, after all. We are this uh, laboratory of fifty different states, uh, and and each state has its own policies. It has its own population. That then that population, by the way, is free to move uh, to other states if they don't necessarily like what's going on in their state. Now, uh, it's obviously challenging in, in a circumstance like this to do so. But um, look at uh, the changes you've seen in, in in you know from the migration from the Northeast down to to other states as a result of the high tax and other spending policies in those states. Uh, so I don't necessarily think that it's uh, it's all that surprising, but uh, one of the things that we're trying to do with our National Coronavirus Recovery Commission is really better quick Governors to make those decisions. And and last week, we released a really tremendous resource, which is a county by county map, which shows the trend in COVID-19 cases in, in every county in the United States. And I've personally found it valuable because it gives you a sense of the direction that we're headed. And uh, it does so at a local level. So hopefully our governors are looking at that information and making decisions that don't just apply for an entire state, but really give localities uh, some freedom and power to make those decisions as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I have such compassion when when a, a person loses their life to anything. And of course you uh, have nothing but um, uh, sorrow for families that have lost loved ones. But sometimes the way I, I feel they're sensationalizing these deaths you know this person died from covid you know after successfully beating lung cancer 5 times now they get covid and they're 93 i go that's uh, it's kind of not a big surprise
2: right well in part because we know from experience now um and 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 the uh, you know unfortunately high number of deaths in the united states that uh, there are certain populations, for instance, Bill, uh, looking at the data, over eighty percent of those who have died from covid nineteen in the United States are over the age of sixty five so if you 're over the age of sixty five that should tell you you need to take some additional precautions right. and be careful uh, because you know that the, the data tells a story there and and I think it would just be wise. Um, you know, it's, it's at the same time you've had debates play out. Uh, this, particularly this one, came up on Capitol Hill between Senator Rand Paul and, and Dr. Fauci about uh, whether or not it was appropriate to send kids back to school mm-hmm. uh, because kids, we know, are just not as susceptible when yeah. it comes to uh, to coming down with it. So, yeah, lots of information still to be learned. It, it's one of those things where if China had been more forthcoming early on, uh, we would have made different decisions in the United States about shutting down travel, but also we probably could have made some really smart decisions in terms of preparing our population for what was about to come. Unfortunately, they've hidden the data. They haven't been forthcoming at all. Uh, They're only just now starting to uh, allow some uh, additional scrutiny of of their operations. And the same thing's happening in Russia. And so when people look and and wonder why the United States has the largest number of cases, well, just remember the Chinese aren't aren't forthcoming with a lot of the information that they should be.
0: Yeah, of course not. Now, we just have a couple of minutes left. I'm just wondering if in three minutes you can tell me what in the world has happened to the ACLU in the last hundred years.
2: <laughs> well, geez, I don't know that three minutes is enough time uh, to do so. But uh, the ACLU, uh, for, for your listeners, uh, you know, is uh, an organization that has always championed free speech or, or, or always... Uh, you know said that it championed free speech and including taking on unpopular causes, uh, even if they uh, they weren 't necessarily where the american public 's uh, views were on on particular issues and unfortunately what we 've seen is the uh, the takeover uh, of the the left wing uh, of the ACLU to the point where they 're not really representative of the causes that uh, that they were once known for uh, and My colleague Giancarlo uh, Canaparo has an excellent piece at the Daily signal uh, that goes through this. Uh, and he he quotes uh, the the founding document from the ACLU, which calls itself the nation's premier defender of the rights enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, that's just not the case for the ACLU anymore. And uh, particularly when it comes to religious freedom bill. And I think that that's what's most sad. You've had to have a lot of other organizations that have been founded and are doing great work uh, to defend the religious liberty of, uh, of so many Americans. But the ACLU just is not.
0: And they kind of aligned themselves with a the political party, didn't they?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what, what comes out of the Democratic Party is generally uh, the position that you can expect the ACLU to take. And uh, that's not exactly true on everything. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you look at the vast majority of the cases and causes that they now pursue, uh, that is definitely uh, what, their, what their prerogative is. And I think it's unfortunate because uh, you should stand on principle uh, and you should not be uh, motivated by partisan politics.
0: Right. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com or coronaviruscommission.com to learn more about what's going on at both places. Rob, have a great evening. Thank you for doing the show. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Thank you. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, Sheila Heen's going to be with me. the show i think it's about time we talked to sheila heen and she said yes so why not she's a founder of triad consulting group and a lecturer of law at harvard she was like teaching at harvard when she was like 26 i was trying to score my own paper out when i was 26 so we have different paths but uh, always nice to have her back on the show sheila welcome
3: well, thank you. How's the paper route going?
0: It, well, no, I've given it up for something more prestigious I call radio.
3: <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> You've moved on.
0: Yeah, yeah. How's your, uh, how's your time hold up at home?
3: Oh, golly. Yeah, it's been an adventure. You know, we transitioned to virtual right in the middle of the spring semester. So had to take uh, the negotiation course with 123 students uh, online. Wow. In a week. It was it was an adventure.
0: Yeah. So, all right, we're going to talk I got I want to talk about trust today and awesome people's motivations, okay? But I also have But so uh, what's
3: your real motivation for talking oh, about Oh, see, I
0: knew this would backfire on me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll go to break. Uh,
3: <laughs> you can tell us. You can tell us. No, well, tell tell me more about we, what you're thinking about about trust.
0: Well, it it seems that uh, You hear the word trust a lot, and people are now um, questioning people's motivations. Every time I turn on the news, I go, what's the motivation? You know, when you get an email from somebody or a text, you you don't, you have to kind of look at a screen and try to figure out a person's motivations. Mm -hmm. Um, And in your book, uh, you talk about the rabbit hole of intentions. You want to hurt me. You're projecting your own issues onto me. You want to show me who's boss? Um you have no filter and can't stop blurting out stupid things. That's me.
3: Yeah. You know you know this person too, huh?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And mistrust can get triggered so easily that I this is what I want to talk about today. So
3: Well, it's such a it's such both a juicy topic and a timely topic because Um, Well, for a whole bunch of reasons, but one is, is of course, because for many of us who are working from home, right, Mm -hmm. and dealing with each other virtually, one of the dynamics on teams that are trying to work together virtually is that it's so much harder to read someone else's intentions or tone into email or text or even on Zoom calls, right? If we bump into each other in person. I can pretty quickly get a read on like how's your day going, what are you frustrated about, what's going on with you. But when all I can see is you know the little slice that you're showing me on Zoom, it's actually a lot harder for me to get a sense of where you're coming from and what your day, what's going on in your day, that's causing you to react the way that you that you're reacting. And so we're just quicker to guess at and attribute intentions to other people um, in ways that can escalate conflict.
0: Yeah. So it is um, problematic for a lot of people. And I know people are kind of zoomed out, aren't they?
3: Boy, (laughs) I am certainly zoomed out. And um, one of the things that is, I I actually attended a a tech conference yesterday, virtually, of course, course. (laughs) virtually. And one of the things that was a topic of conversation was also that when we're negotiating via technology, people are both less likely to be trusting of each other,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: but maybe most scary, we're less likely to be trustworthy.
0: Say more about that. Is that that.
3: scary or what? (laughs) What do you mean by that? That if you look at the negotiation literature, when someone is negotiating online, Oh, yeah. They sometimes will do things that they would never do in person, right? They'll Mm -hmm. misrepresent something, or they'll shade the truth. Well, I mean, I have a lot of other opportunities, you know, (laughs) so-and-so's offering me twice that, when, when they're completely making that up. And that's a little frightening. It's got me thinking about whether I need to change the way that I'm teaching ethics so that we each sort of reflect on would I, you know, would I say this in person or am I sort of, is it a shortcut and I'm justifying it somehow?
0: Mm -hmm, Good point. So you talk about um, telling the truth and are you saying nice things about your work because you think it's good or because uh, they're too wishy-washy to tell you how they really feel and what are they saying behind your back?
3: Yeah. And so we're, I think it's just harder to get a read on people in either direction. Like you're raising the possibility that, you know, you're saying nice things, but it's not what you really think about me. Um, So you're being nicer than you actually are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or you see (laughs) me more positively than you actually do. Mm -hmm. And it can also go the other direction, which is, you know, you're being very curt or short with me or not getting back to me. And does this, I'm actually attributing that, that you're upset with me or I'm not in the loop, I'm not included, Um, trying to get a read on, like, is there something more going on here is even harder when we're working virtually. And then, by the way, should we talk about the other reason that this is a timely topic, which is in society, as we are trying to figure out what feels safe and what doesn't, And why is that person standing too close to me or not wearing a mask or, um, you know, actually endangering me in some way? We have all kinds of attributions about each other, which is why things escalate quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. So then when you do have a chance to get out and you go to one of your few essential places, like a grocery store, everyone is keeping their distance from you, which is good. And you're making... Almost no eye contact with people. You're getting some sneers now and then, but everyone has their face covered up. So it really is kind of a people call it social distancing. I like to think of it as just anti-social distancing because <laughs> it's not very social. It you know yeah. you're being yeah you're being careful about people's health and well-being, but you're you're not really trusting anybody. You don't trust anyone everywhere anywhere you go. Yeah,
3: and and I think that one of the things that's hard even for me to remember sometimes, is that I can't tell from looking how vulnerable you are. You know, like for some people, they're like, "Ah, I've had it. It's no big deal. I'm young, whatever. But they may be interacting with someone who actually has an underlying condition or lives with a family member with an underlying condition. And you can't tell that by looking at me. And so I'm. You think I'm overreacting by telling you to please step back? Mm-hmm. But actually, I'm underreacting.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's <a> good point. <laughs> for,
3: for how threatened I feel, because you're threatening either me or you're threatening the safety of members of my family, and, um, and or, or we had it at our house, and it is horrible. And you're underestimating how bad this right. is. Right. And right. And we can't you can't tell that by looking at somebody in the grocery store either.
0: That's so true.
3: So I think that one of the things that has been lovely is the ways in which people are kind of observing how, the extent to which we're in this together, because each individual's actions affect all of us. And it's also true that we're really, really differently situated on a whole bunch of different axes.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Some yeah. people still have their job and they don't have financial worries. And right. other people are really, really struggling in ways that are so incredibly stressful. I know. And some people are alone in their homes um, and really fe- feeling that this is a long haul. And other people wish they were alone in their homes
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: because all of these, quote, unquote, loved ones are not acting very lovable right now. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. Yes, yes.
3: So I think in terms of health and financially and socially and stress-wise, I mean, we're all situated so differently and I think having empathy for each other across those differences is just so important right
0: mm-hmm. now. Yeah, cuz we're clearly not in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm.
3: Oh, that's lovely. Did uh, you just make that up? I think so. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, good. people
0: say we're all it's in really this together. We're all in this together. I go, well, we are, but we're you know we're not in the same boat. Everyone's in a different boat, but we're all in the same storm because, you know, like you say, you're able to yeah. work from home and get your paycheck and your health insurance and you go out to the store and buy groceries or have them delivered to your home. That is not the case for a lot of people. For many, a many, lot of people. Yeah, yeah I would and say most. The other most. thing that
3: I love about your storm description um, is that we might all be in the same storm, but my house is the one that got hit by lightning.
0: True. That's right? so true. Or, yes.
3: Or my town or my city is where the tornado is, has come through, yours is pretty quiet, and so you think there is no storm because the rain was pretty light. Right. Um, but you're underestimating that it actually manifested really differently across the country and the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So does this time together uh, reveal more deeper issues when it comes to conflict resolution? I uh, a listener that has a question for you. What are some tangible family uh what are some tangible steps family members can take to reduce conflict that flares up while mom and dad are working at home and kids are finishing up the school year at home. We're experiencing a whole lot of togetherness.
3: A whole lot of togetherness. And I'm I'm laughing actually because I have I have a uh turning 14 tomorrow year old um <laughs> pacing, girl. uh girl. Okay. Pacing right now. Totally. Uh, I'm holed up, hiding in the bedroom, right? Okay. So that we have a little bit of quiet. She's pacing in the hallway. <laughs> I've got a I've got a senior in high school um, who's out on his skateboard, itching because he can't go see his friends. Right. I've got a I've got a college junior who's you know bored to tears. Um, and and by the way, I'm looking out the window because my sister who we don't have we stay super socially distant but she brings her she's got a 4-year-old and a 6-year-old who are over here jumping on our trampoline nice because they're driving her crazy
4: <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> so so concrete uh concrete ideas i mean one of the things that i think has been i've been thinking a lot about lately has to do with managing energy And I think that we're used to managing our time. But what's been new for me is to really think about, I got to be managing my energy as at least as much as my time and my kids energy. And that, that means physical energy. Like if I'm not sleeping well, I'm not going to have the kind of patience the next day Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I'm going to need. So it's physical energy. It's mental energy. Like, can I stay focused and follow through on a task? I'm finding that actually harder. And then there's emotional energy. How much tolerance or patience do I have? How anxious do I feel? And one of the things that's really hard is that emotionally, if you already struggled with anxiety, this is going to turn up the volume on that. Yeah. Or with depression or with self respect, right? Um, and self-worth, a lot of stress stress ends up turning up the volume on the things that we struggle with um, and thinking about, gosh, what do I need to do to take care of myself now? Because I, I, it takes more energy to cope emotionally with what I need to cope with and what makes me feel better and how do I prioritize that because that's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And And then there's, of course, social energy. Like, am I staying connected um, with other people somehow in my life? Um, I, my sisters and I, did something for Mother's Day for my mom, which is that we set a timer for thirty minutes each of us individually and wrote, just free wrote, starting each sentence with "I remember."
0: Oh, that is so sweet.
3: And just made this long, so long list. Sweet of I remember sentences of oh. just, you know, sitting next to you and how you always smelled like Olo- oil of Olay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no. Curled up on the
3: couch. And it was so moving. I loved reading my sisters, and my mother, of course, loved reading all of them. So so this week my mother did one, and she ju- she I just read it before we got on the phone. And it's stuff I never have heard before. Really? And so we are doing, she's like, I remember when my father hit his brother with a tractor. I
0: remember and that. And then he never
3: recovered. <laughs> and I never have heard that story. Wow. Right? So, so we're, we've been doing Zoom calls um, twice a week, actually, with my parents and daughters. And I said, okay, tonight's Zoom call, the agenda is mom's I remember list. And you know there are ways in which that's a blessing because I I don't think it ever would have come up.
0: Yeah, that's so true. All right, Sheila, let me take a little break, um, and then your daughter, if she's fourteen, she want to put her on the phone and we'll sing Happy Birthday to her on the air. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, she we'll might
3: die of embarrassment. Oh, that's okay. She's fourteen.
0: If she shows up, <laughs> great. But we'll take a break and okay. we come back. We'll see what happens. All right. All right. Show Sheila Hina is my guest. She's written a couple of books. Thanks for the feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback well, and difficult conversations. How to discuss what matters most. And I don't know if you're with your daughter or not.
3: She ran away. <laughs> <laughs> is that feedback for us?
0: Uh, yeah, it's just a, you and me it now. Might be. Yeah, oh, that's it might be too funny. I was all rehearsed and ready to go too.
3: Oh my goodness! That's, I'll tell her. that's okay. The, the thought, the thought will count, and she'll be. <laughs> You know. Yeah. She'll be telling her friends.
4: That's okay. Oh my
3: gosh, you'll never guess what just almost happened. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best birthday present of all, giving her something to complain about to her oh, friends.
0: Totally. Yes. But she just escaped. All right. Let's she go, just escaped. Yeah, let's go back to motivations because if if you have if you have to reset your your assumptions about somebody um and you have to you have to just hit the reset button. How do you do that?
3: Yeah. Well, one of the things that we talk about is just remembering to separate intentions from impact. So I know what my intentions were, or at least I think I do, although maybe I'm rationalizing them sometimes. Um, I don't know the impact that my actions had on you and vice versa. I know the impact that you had on me, which is why I'm upset with you, um, but I actually don't know why you did what you did. So I want to be careful not to attribute negative intentions to you. And so that once you do that, then the advice is pretty simple, which is be transparent about your own intentions and ask about theirs, or be transparent about the impact something has had on you and ask, what was that like for you? What impact did this have on you? So it's a way to raise something without accusing someone of doing it on purpose or mm-hmm. being a bad person and I, th- I think that um, I think that the question that we have from a listener about like practical advice mm-hmm. um, is certainly related to this because in talking with spouses if you're trying to juggle who's Who's in charge of the kids at the moment who's managing their school zoom calls etc who has to be on our own work calls um, you know this advice is particularly important there like you don't care about my work or whatever as you're as you're trying to manage conflict between you, that kind of transparency will help and in addition to managing your own physical energy mental emotional social And spiritual energy, you also want to think about helping your kids manage theirs.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Because um, for those folks who have multiple children, (laughs) they have good days when they're getting along with each other. And when they are overtired, frustrated, et cetera, they're at each other, picking, squabbling, Mm -hmm. et cetera, which, of course, drives us crazy.
0: So, um, Sheila, what happens when mom and dad get triggered because they are in a tense situation and yeah. kids are home, so is conflict resolution best done apart from the kids, or is it okay to do it in front of the kids?
3: Oh, such a great question. So so there are a few options. One is, you know, you're paying no attention to the fact that kids are in the room, things are escalating, right, and without any boundaries on how you treat each other even when you're in conflict. So name calling, accusations, blame, et cetera, you're modeling how to handle conflict for your kids, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so you want to you want to have those boundaries. Now so what some people then do is say, well, we're going to go into the next room to have this conversation. And if you can't have some boundaries on how you handle the conflict, that is probably the right solution, but what the research shows is that kids who didn't see their parents work through conflict
4: Mm -hmm.
3: don't have any model for how to do it as adults. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: So the kids who do the best as adults are the ones who did see when their parents disagreed or had conflict, but also had some window into watching them. Stop short of you know. I know. I know what would hurt you. (laughs) I have a whole bag of dirt (laughs) on you Uh that I could, (laughs) I could you know, sling the mud. Right. But but we don't. Even when we're upset, and even when I actually secretly am feeling like you're a bad person right now, but I know that's not going to help. And it was probably not fair. And so I'm I'm going to not do the sort of name calling, accuse. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to own my part of the problem, but I'm also going to be clear about what is it that you did that I was upset about and why. And kids who can watch their parents work their way through that to just better understand each other, even if we still don't agree, we understand why we disagree, those are the kids who actually do the best long term. Mm
0: -hmm. So what is it like when two people are arguing then the phone rings and you go from arguing to being very pleasant answering the phone? (laughs) No,
3: yeah. (laughs) Um... Well, it's funny because you're partly also teaching kids that there are times where you just have to manage yourself uh-huh. to show up the way other people need you to show up and deserve to be treated, even though you're in the middle of a bad place. The minute they turn 13, 14, 15, they're going to accuse you of being a phony, by the way, <laughs> just speaking from experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but it it is an opportunity. This this happened, actually, we were in the car driving somewhere, and I had a client call that I couldn't get rescheduled. And so we had been, we weren't necessarily arguing, I don't remember. But then, of course, when I answer the phone, I'm like, hey, how are you? You know, because I'm in a conversation with them. Right. <laughs> but my kids are only hearing half of it. And yeah. the minute I hang up, they're like, you're such a phony. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> First of all, you're only hearing half the conversation. And And I'm showing up in the relationship, genuinely, in the way that that relationship is happening, it sounds weird because you're only listening to half of it. Right. But it is true that that you need to show up and as a leader, often you need to show up in a way that is purposeful, um, as well as sort of authentic and genuine.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, you said something earlier in this uh, interview that I need to get back to, and it was a really profound thought. I wrote it down, and it's something like this. Let's see if I have this right. I don't know the impact my actions had on you, mm-hmm. that's a pretty clarifying moment, isn't it
3: Yeah, it is, and um, I think it can be tempting to think I do know or let me explain to you <laughs> what impact my actions should have had on you because you're overreacting and it wasn't that big a deal.
0: ooh, but that's not the right approach, is it
3: but that that's going to get me in trouble
0: oh quick. yeah, yeah. But if yeah. I walk around going, ah, I don't know why Sheila's acting so weird around me. She's just, like, blowing me off all the time. Uh, it must be her problem. And if I take that position, that nothing's going forward.
3: Yeah, nothing's going forward. And, and we, first of all, I lose the opportunity to realize that you're feeling that way, number one. Like, how do I encourage you to speak up so we can talk about how you're feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly because I don't run into you in person like normally right in life right. in our in our regular world life we would bump into each other and have a chance to catch up and so i don't even know that you're feeling neglected working from home and so i want to be sure to invite people to share with me how they're feeling mhm i think i think often particularly with work colleagues we hop on the call and we're like hey how's it going how are you holding up right and that's great before we move on to okay so here's the thing that we got to get done today Right. But I think mixing it up with more specific questions sometimes can invite people to share what's really going on. You know, saying, hey, you know, what's exciting you these days? What are you finding joy in? Or, hey, what's keeping you up at night right now? Yeah, well, are... help us to just mix it up and and, and say, like, I, I actually do want to hear and if there are things I can do that will help, or there are things I'm doing that are making you feel like I'm blowing you off, that's an invitation to share it with me.
0: Mm-hmm. And just any last minute advice for these couples that are feeling the stress of, of working from home and doing the parenting and the school activities and everything else?
3: Oh, golly. Um, yeah, I think that part of what has been helping me and the people I'm talking to is to get if you can get out and get some fresh air, yes. exercise, take a walk,
0: simple things, et cetera,
3: and try to get your kids out. Right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, <laughs> the the thought a tired dog is a is a good dog,
0: yeah. and we
3: talk about running the naughty off of our dogs.
4: <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the true, the true, same thing is true for kids and maybe for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That physical a little bit of physical exertion, so you're tired at the end of the day, actually helps us manage sort of our emotional and mental life as well. Yeah, Sheila. And, and that for our kids.
0: Thanks for taking the time to do the show today.
3: Absolutely. It's great to talk to you as always.
0: Thank you so much. Sheila Heen's been my guest. You can head over to StoneAndHeen.com. We'll take a little break. We'll be back with Hour 2. Dr. Marcus Bachman will be with us the whole hour.